0: Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Today is our annual Mission Sunday, and I literally want to build an altar here that reaches around the world as we consider what we as a church are called to do and what we are willing to do over these next 12 months. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. We're going to pick up chapter 4. Now, there's a lot of Scripture reading here. I tried to figure a way to shorten it, but I just can't do it. We're going to pick up verses 1 through 42, and we'll read it as quickly as we can, but I've got to pull out some truths here, show you some things, and let's see if God has a word for us today. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 1, in the New King James Version. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He left success and a great move. A lot of things are happening. He left it. And verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. And it's hard for us to get our minds around that, to leave success for a divine appointment. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well and it was about the sixth hour. Notice Sychar and the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman in verse nine of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew that considers Samaritans half breeds, half Jew, half Gentile, how can it be that you being a Jew would talk to me, not only a half-breed, but I'm a woman. And you have to understand during this time, men had a a low opinion of women, especially a Samaritan woman, a half-breed. The woman said, how is it that you being a Jew ask me, a Samaritan woman, for drink? You can't touch my pot because it's considered unclean because I'm unclean for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have no, nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Not only the well of Jacob, but listen to me, the well of her heart was very deep. Where then do you get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as the sons and his livestock? Jesus answered her and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She was a thirsty woman and she had a longing in her heart, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. Let's get to the real heart of the matter. Go call your husband. The woman fessed up. I have no husband. And he said, you're right. You have have said well that I have no husband. For you have had five. Now listen to me, five husbands. Women during this time could not divorce their husbands. Only the husband could put away the wife. This girl had been put out five times. And the woman or the man that you're with now, look at it. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. So that means she's either living with a man or she's having an affair with another woman's husband. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He read her mail. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that we worship in Jerusalem. This goes back to the Old Testament where they're arguing over where the temple should be. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's getting past her religion that was getting in the way. Yeah. Okay. You worship what you don't know. We worship for salvations of the Jews. But the hour is coming now ends when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking. Notice that, seeking. He was out seeking, searching. Jesus left the success of the many, looking for the one. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said, I am he. Verse 27, at this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked to a woman. Especially a samaritan no one said who do you seek or what are you why are you talking with her the woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that i ever did could this be the christ then they went out of the city and came to him because of her testimony never underestimate the power of testimony Verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him and said, Rabbi, you need to eat something. He said, guys, I've had a meal that you have no knowledge of. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, he someone else must have brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, listen, guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do You not say there are still four months and then comes a harvest. He said, open your eyes, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. It's now, now is the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, take a deep breath, say we're almost done. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came had come to him. They urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Notice that in verse 41, many believed because of what he said. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. Let's title this the savior of the world. Father, bless the reading of your word in Christ's name and everyone said amen. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go back and extract a few things and then we'll be done. Remember the beginning that our story starts in the sixth hour, the sixth hour. In verses one through 18, we find very clear that God is making a statement to us, there is value in the one. Jesus left the success of the many for an appointment with the one. There is value in the one. And we see the power of the testimony of one the sixth hour the sixth hour it was the sixth hour when darkness separated man from God you remember the story on Calvary when the abuse was so great that the sun itself hid its face darkness covered the earth And she came during the sixth hour. The sixth hour is that difficult time in a person's life when darkness falls over them and it separates them from God. She came at noon alone, you notice in our story, for she was not welcome to come at sundown with the other women from the village. She had had five men put her away and she was either shacking up with one or having an affair with another. Five men put her away. And the women in this village, this wasn't a big village. This, this village knew who she was. You can't marry and be divorced five times and either be living with one or having an affair with another and, and people not know who you are. She couldn't come with the other women. So she had to come alone during the sixth hour. People that live in the sixth hour live in a place of loneliness. They're the people that live in the shadows of life. They're the people that we turn away from. They're the people that we really like to look away from. We don't like to notice them. We really don't want to see them in our community. We'd like to look the other way. The sixth hour people. The people that are the homeless. The people that are in sex trafficking. The people that are in bondage. Whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be. You know those people. You you know do you know who those people are? The less desirable people of our world. The people that we really try to shun and we try to remain within our bubble and we try to block them out. The people that live in the shadows of our community. The sixth hour people. This is the hour when the sun hides its face. Psalms 139.8 said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. You see, the point that I want you to find see there is that even in the sixth hour, even living in the shadows, even when you go at noon to gather water because the other women don't want nothing to do with you because you're unclean, you got to know that even then, God will find you. Do you see that? He said, even if I make my bed in hell, you'll find me. Jesus left the success of the many for the need of the one that was in the sixth hour, the woman that was living in the shadow. Jesus found her. Do you see that? He found her. When the whole village turned their back on her, Jesus found her in her sixth hour. And if you're on campus, online, if you're living in a sixth hour, if you're in that moment of darkness, if you live in the shadows of life, if you feel neglected and rejected and abandoned, and you feel like the church has turned its back on you, I'm telling you, God will find you. He will find you. The second thing in the sixth hour, Jesus was willing to leave the success of the many for the failure of one, Genesis 33. Then he erected an altar there and he called it the mighty God of Israel. This is what he called it. Here, this Jacob's well and Genesis 33 was called the mighty God of Israel. This well, you have to understand that this is the place of where Dinah Jacob's daughter was raped so this is violated ground Dinah was raped this woman comes that's been rejected by five men and she's living with one or having an affair with another one either case they're using her they won't enter into a covenant with her they're using her and so this woman is in the sixth hour and she has been violated by man. And so you, you have to see for me the, the contradiction. Here on this polluted ground, this violated ground, there's a well and it's called the Mighty One of Israel. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that that matches up with me. I know it didn't with these two women. Every time. That woman went at noon because the other women would have nothing to do with it. They'd throw rocks at her. She would come to this well and drop that pot down. And every time she dropped it down, those words screamed back at her, the mighty one of Israel. She knew the name of it. And she's thinking, it sure don't seem like it's mighty to me. I want you to hear this woman's heart. This woman and our story was divorced five times. She didn't choose it, they did. But the mighty God of Israel positioned himself on violated ground to make an appointment with a violated woman because he leaves the success of the many for the failure of one. One. To leave a mighty revival where hundreds, maybe thousands are gathered to go to Sychar to pick up one little woman. How many preachers today would do that? How many preachers today would shut down a great campaign where they're having hundreds, maybe thousands, and say, I'm sorry, I've got to go? Where? I'm going to a little village, to a little countryside place, because there's a divine appointment that I have with one violated woman. How many would do that? But that's what Jesus did. And he comes to a place called Sychar in verses 7 through 18. Sychar. You see, Jesus identified her need. He identified it. He, how many knows the spirit of prophecy can talk to you where you need to be talked to? He looked at her and said, I'll tell you what's this? you go get your husband. It's a rhetor- Listen, it's, it's a rhetorical question. He... When God asks a question of us, he's not asking it because he lacks information. He, he asked a question. Go, he's telling her, go get your husband. He's, he's trying to get to her heart. And she says, I don't have a husband. I've had five men and they've all rejected me and I'm living with one now. You see, Jesus was getting to the real need in her life. And that was she had a need for that sense of belonging to be loved and be cared for. You have to remember that these Samaritans were considered unclean and half-breeds. And she just wanted to belong to someone, to something. Not only as a race of people are they rejected by the Jews, but as a woman, she's rejected by her community. As a woman, she's rejected by this man And that's why she was amazed that he would even talk to her. And he said, go get your husband, sis. She said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five, and every one of them puts you out, and now you're living with one. Or you're having an affair, they're just using you. She had a sense, or she, she... had a need to belong and to be accepted. She wanted to belong to something. Jesus, you have to know, he started with her felt need. Yes, yes. Felt need. Yes. He started talking to her about thirst, water, felt need. And then he moved to her, to her real need of acceptance and affirmation to, to touch her heart and where she was. I have no husband. I have no one. I have no one. This is a lesson for the church to meet people at their point of need. That's where you start. That's why you go to the person to their felt need. You go to their point of need and you begin there. You don't go to a person as sex trafficking or homeless or drug addiction or alcoholism, or whatever the case may be. You don't go to people like that and start with theology. Eschatology. homiletics, hermeneutics. Are you impressed yet with that? I know all that. I just <laughs> just You don't go to them. And talk to them like that. You, you, you go to them where they are. If they need a blanket, give them a blanket. If they're hungry, feed them. If, if they're thirsty, give her some water. If, you go to them and you, you talk to them. If they need acceptance and affirmation, you give it to them. That's where you start. Do you understand? We, we gotta start with their felt need. We gotta meet them at their point of need. That's where we start. Right there. Colossians first verse chapter four, verse five and six says, Be wise. Notice that. Is it underlined? Be wise. And the way you act towards outsiders, unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Season it with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Christians, the church needs a little dose of wisdom with unbelievers looking for opportunities and let us speak with grace. Can we speak with grace? And we need to season it with salt. We need to create a thirst within them. You know why so many people don't come to our churches? Because there's nothing that makes them thirsty for it. There's no longing there. We're not creating a thirst. Put it back on the screen, guys. We're not creating a thirst within them. We need to season our messages with salt so that we know how to answer them. We can create a thirst and a hunger in them. I'm sorry, I believe if we would season this church with salt, if we would season it, if we would just season, I'm convinced they'll come. They would come if we would create a thirst within them. There's a saying that goes, if you would teach, you must must first love. If we would start with their felt need, if we would start meet them at their point of need, we can lead them to our theology. But we gotta first win their hearts so we can transform their minds. But we want to go right to the mind. Debate theology. They don't want to debate theology. They want a blanket. They want a drink of water. They want deliverance. They want healing. They want help. They want love. They want acceptance. They want affirmation. They want to know we care. They want some salt to make them thirsty. Let's make them I don't go to church in America today is because we're not creating a thirst in them for Jesus. They don't care about our historical Jesus. They want our living Jesus. And if we will quit with the historical, there's a place and a time for that. But when you go to a person in the sixth hour that's living in the shadows. They need a living Jesus. Yes. Yes. That's what they want. And that's our job, to create that thirst. You see, most unbelievers, to be honest, are looking for hope, not faith. Hope. Faith is the substance of things. If you don't have a hope, you don't need faith. I'm pretty tired, but I'm preaching pretty good now. Come on, give me some love. Listen, they won't they want hope. That's all they want hope. We have to give it to them. And this is the thing. The disciples came back from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Jeez, give a little shout out to my Christian brother that owns Chick-fil-A, but, you know, they came back and Jesus said, guys, I've had food that you know nothing about. You see, the word "psychar" in our text, in the Greek, means intoxicated. It means to be drunk. Jesus was intoxicated over ministering to one little girl we get intoxicated over the headlines. Pastor Hodes Crusade, thousands turn out, Charisma Magazine, TBN, book deal, endorsements, recognition, huge offerings, his name, that's the intoxication of religion. How many preachers get intoxicated over one little violated girl How many would shut down a crusade to go get one little girl that's been violated on violated ground in a place called Sychar? Jesus did. And he was drunk in the spirit. He was intoxicated because of one little girl. You see, there is something, and and I typed this out, I'm 59 years old. I'll be 60 in just a couple of weeks. If you want to write it down, it's June 10th, but I'll be 60. Suzanne's already 60, but I'm catching up. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Sid's down there. He's, he's praying for me. He's saying, Oh father, help my pastor. Look, All my life, I've wanted to help people believe in God and believe in themselves. Here recently, I'm, can I be honest with you? How many wants transparency? Here lately, I thought maybe I need to change my message. I see a lot of empty chairs. And I thought maybe, maybe I'm not connecting with people. Maybe I need to, I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe I need to change it. But then I felt, my, I'm typing this. And I typed out, Jesus, Sycar, violated woman. And I'm typing out, there is something intoxicating about helping unbelievers yes. believe. Yes. But not only those that are lost that need salvation, but those that are saved that need to believe in God and believe in themselves. There's something intoxicating when I get an email or a text or a phone call, somebody from a previous church, maybe out of state, contacts me and says, Pastor, I remember a Sunday when you preached a message It challenged me to be more than what I am in Christ. I'm not talking about humanism, and I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a preacher of the gospel. But I'm like Paul that says, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. I believe we're called to be the sons of God and to take dominion on planet earth and to establish the kingdom of God until his return. I believe that. I believe God wants you to be a success in life with your marriage, your children, your business, and your life. I believe that. I believe God wants us to be the sons of God that bring glory to his name. Amen? Amen. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I believe in a prosperity God. And so I I believe that God wants you to be everything that you can be in and through Christ Jesus. It It may be a just, it may, listen, it may be it may never be the governor of the state. It may, never, it may be a teacher in a little classroom that has 20 students, but she's shaping the minds of those young people that will change the world. That's success. Do you hear me? You may, you may work for the city of Beaumont and work in our sanitation department and pick up garbage every, every, every week, but you're the best there is and you're taking the love of God wherever you go, and you're doing it for his glory, that's success. To be who you called to be, and to fulfill your purpose in life. There's something intoxicating for me about helping unbelievers believe that God does save, that God does sanctify, that God does uh, justify, that God does heal, that God does set you free, that God will make you the man, the woman he wants you to be. I believe there's something intoxicating about helping unbelievers believe, but we've got to help them. I've said to you for years, if you'll believe in people, they will rise to that belief. And Jesus believed in this little girl, and she rose to that standard. You see, she believed in Jesus. Now, listen to this she believed in Jesus before she believed in his message. Now, you have to hear that. Notice the progression of her respect for Jesus. In verse 11, she said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. In verse 15, she said, sir, give me this water you're talking about. In verse 19, she said, sir, you're a prophet. The progression, the progression. It was his insight that opened her eyes, but it was his love that opened her heart. He loved her. He loved her. And she believed in him. Before she bought into his theology, she first believed in him. As I said earlier, if you would teach, you must first love. We have to help people believe. We have to. And verse 21, he said, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you'll neither worship on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. Believe me. You see, she believed in herself because Jesus was the first man to ever believe in her. Five put her away and one was using her. She believed in herself because Jesus was the first man to ever believe in her. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice here in the degree he called her woman. Remember, Samaritans are half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. There was an argument over, it, it even got into the argument over the Pentuic, the, the first five books of the Bible, and they were arguing over the Torah. And and really, the Jews and the Samaritans were arguing over, really, what books you should read and what was authoritative. And it was just a lot of religion. Where was the temple on the mountain in Jerusalem? It was a lot of, just a lot of religion And a lot of arguing going on. And she's a woman. You understand women kept their place then. He's a holy man. She can't get near him. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's a half-breed. It's a mess. Five men divorced her and said, don't want you. And one man is using her. And Jesus turns to her on this violated ground with a violated woman. And he looked at her and said, woman. Now, that's a term in the Greek. It's a term of respect. It speaks of her being feminine. It speaks of her being a lady. It speaks of her being a virgin. And there's no virginity to this this lady. But yet Jesus calls her something that perhaps she's never heard. He called her a woman. lady. She hadn't been shown respect and she can't remember when. The women whisper when she walks by. If she tries to go to the well with them, they'll throw rocks at her. And yet this holy man calls her a lady. Think of this. For the first time in a long time, a man believed in her. You see, she believed in Jesus. She believed in herself and her future. And she became a believer because Jesus believed in her. Do we see that? You know how you turn a person that is lost? You know how you turn a person that's living in the sixth hour you know how you turn a person that's living the shadows of life? You know how you turn the broken and the bruised and the rejected and the outcast and the unloved and the ones that the church has turned its back on? You know how you turn those people? You do it by believing in them. You, you, you do it by, as we say here, you don't gossip about their past, you prophesy about their future. You don't call them by where they've been, you, you define them by where they're going. And you look at a woman who's been violated and there's nothing pure about her and you call her a lady. That's how Jesus reached her. And she became a believer because one man believed in her. Notice this in verse 41. And because of his words, many more Became believers because of his words. Do you understand that words are powerful? Do we understand that you can make believers of people with your words? The psalmist said he sent his word and healed them. That's not only for physical healing or for salvation. It's for mental and emotional healing. You you, you can send his word and you can heal people. You see, we have to help people believe. That's what we have to do. We have to help the sinner to believe he can be a saint. We have to help the saint believe they can become sons. We have to help the son believe they can rule we've got to help them we help people to believe so spend your life making believers of men (laughs) spend your life my last point by informing her that the father was seeking her and this had to be mind-blowing Violated woman, five husbands, living with one, being used, Samaritan, argument over religion, who's right, who's wrong. The world has rejected her. The village has turned their back on her. She's living in the sixth hour. She's living in the shadows. And Jesus left the success of the many for the failure of the one. And he said to her, I want to tell you what real worship is. And I want to tell you, your father is seeking you. You see, we say, I found God. God found you. God found me. Like he did this little woman. Seeking, seeking. Your father, you see, my father in heaven is seeking me? Me? A woman that's unclean, seeking. Jesus made it clear that the hour had come that even the unqualified could worship the Father. Oh, God. She was unqualified. She was unclean. She was impure. She had been divorced five times, either living with one or having an affair with one. There's nothing about this woman that says the father would be seeking her worship. If we're thinking as religious people, there ain't nothing about her that says any church would want her. But yet Jesus said, my father is looking for a certain kind of worship. And oh, by the way, sis, he's seeking after you. Because he's looking for somebody that won't worry about on the mountain, in the temple, right, wrong, Samaritan, Jew. He wants somebody that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Because the word spirit there in the Greek is the word pneuma, it means different things, but one foundational truth is it is the breath of the soul or the breath of the spirit. So it's that person that says, I'm unqualified, I don't deserve to be here, but I worship you, that's what my father is looking for. The Pharisee who comes to the front of the church, the temple, and he stands, the Bible says, in a pious way I thank Jehovah that I fast often that there is no sin in my life that I am a righteous man and then there was another one the Bible says he knelt and he beat his breast as the Jews would do and he says have mercy on me have mercy on me Who do you think the father noticed? Who do you think got the father's attention? And we come in our churches Sunday after Sunday. We put on our best. We powder and puff and spray. And and we get our best look on and we come in. That's good and right. No problem. Keep doing it. No problem. We come in here. And we've got our maturity and our theology and our wisdom and our experience. And then we see these little people that come in that are the unqualified. And when they come up front with the breath of the soul and you see them with tears coming down their face and they're down here weeping or they go to their knees, or they fall prostrate before him. And they're down here just worshiping. And they feel so unqualified. They feel so unworthy. And they're down here, and they're trying to worship. And we turn up our noses to them? America, wake up. Wake up. This little girl came down from the breath of her soul, and the depth of her soul was crying out. And Jesus said, That's the kind of worship that my Father is looking for. He said, He wants the breath of your soul. And He said, He wants it to be in truth. And the word truth there in the Greek, it means candor, free of pretense. Candor, just honesty, no pretense, no pretense. Jesus said, forget Jerusalem, forget the mountain, forget arguing over the books of the Bible and and which one is which and quit arguing over Samaritan and Jew and women and men. And he said, I'm telling you, sis, that my father wants somebody from the breath of their soul, from the breath of their soul, To just, from the breath of their soul, to cry out with no pretense and just be candor and honest and say, I'm unqualified, but I'm here to worship you. That's what my Father's looking for. That's it. Stephen, come help me. I believe that the father will hear the deepest breath of the most shattered soul on planet earth. Where this has taken us is to the words, come and see. And verse 29, she said to her village, now guys, can you, can you hang in here for another minute? Are you okay? This little woman, five husbands, living with one or having an affair with another one, has to come at the sixth hour of darkness because the women won't have nothing to do with her. She finds the Messiah. And she drinks from a well. They're talking about the water from Jacob's well, living water. She says, the well is deep. Which was she talking about? Jacob's well or the well of her heart? She says, the well is deep. I just want to believe that little girl was saying to him, listen to me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how deep my heart is. The darkness. You don't know. Jesus says, sis, I get there. You'll just listen to me. Believe in me. She finds this living water and it changes her life. Now, instead of her selfishly holding on to this, she goes back to that same group of women that turned her out. She goes back to that same group of men that divorced her five times. She goes back to that same that same rascal That's either living with her or or, or he's having an affair with her. She goes back to that same group of people. And she says to them, come and see what I've seen. It's amazing how when you first get born again, you go to friend, family, enemy, and foe. And you tell them all, come to my church what God did for me. The love of God compels us. You'll go to your enemy and reach out your hand and say, come and see. She said, come and see. He understood what she did. But more importantly, he understood why she did it. For the first time, a man saw her for who she was and not for what she did. Come and see, she said. The first man that ever saw me and spoke to my heart. Come and see. And then in verse 42, it says that the entire village turned out. The whole village came out. Her reputation preceded her. But they saw a transformation in her. And they're thinking if God can do it for her, he can do it for me. By unlocking, listen to me, you got to get this. By unlocking the heart of one woman, Jesus opened the door to an entire village. That's why he left the success of the many for the failure of the one. Because one woman unlocked An entire village one little girl one little girl that's why we understand put verse 4 back on the screen screen guys at the end of the story you look back to the beginning and that's why we understand the power of verse 4 it said but he needed to go through Samaria because of one little girl the Samaritans Do you understand? They could not come to Jesus. Their religion, the argument wouldn't allow them. They could not come to Jesus. So Jesus chose to go to them. There are people in our community that perhaps they just, they don't feel they can come here. Maybe because they feel unqualified. Maybe they feel unclean. Maybe they feel like the heart of their well's too deep, been too much, seen too much, done too much. They'll never accept me in that big fancy church. Maybe they can't get here. So perhaps we should choose to go there. That's why we have to go out and Walmart and Kroger and H-E-B and wherever you are and wherever you're working and whatever you're doing, we have to pay attention to the one and try to get them because one can open an entire village. Reaching the world begins by reaching the one. And that's the story because it concludes in verse 42. Then they said to this woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. That's the point of this story, that with one, with one, we can reach the entire world if everybody just reached one. Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.